to the show. There's a lot of stuff to talk about for today's episode, so I won't waste any time. Uh, one of the first things was actually something that Tim and Sid observed uh, just a couple of days ago, actually. Uh, they were saying at that time, Edmonton is currently second last in the league. The Oilers fans uh, around Canada, could this happen again? And they've got a picture, which is going to load in just a second, of uh, Daly uh, holding up the Edmonton Oilers possibly getting the first overall pick again. Uh, that would be absolutely nuts if that happens, um, considering how many first overall picks Edmonton has had recently. Uh, but it's possible right now the way that Edmonton is playing. Uh, then, to add on top of that, uh, the Oilers assigned uh, Yamamoto uh, to the Spokane Chiefs of the WHL. Yamamoto had three assists in nine games, and honestly, like his speed and the way he was playing, even in the preseason, I think put him above a lot of the regulars in the lineup. So I was saying, you know, is this part of the tanking attempt, uh, part one million for the Edmonton Oilers? Uh, just a, a really crazy situation. And if you recall, going way back to, I think it was the Hockey's Back podcast that we had uh, when, when the hockey season was just starting up, I was convinced that the Edmonton Oilers were destined uh, to make it to the Stanley Cup final Finals. I even was bold enough to say uh, that they were going to win the Stanley Cup Finals. It doesn't look like it now, um, but that's it's crazy how quickly things can change. And you know, you get your hopes up because of a player like Connor McDavid. Uh, but you know, of of all fans, I think Edmonton Oilers fans should know better than anybody that you can't really get your hopes up until you actually see it happen. And I know, you know, Edmonton made it pretty far in the playoffs last year, but they don't look like that team that everybody thought they were going to be this year. Um, and they're looking closer, like, possibly getting the first overall pick than they are hoisting the Stanley Cup over their heads. Uh, then there was this, which absolutely scared the hell out of me. I can't imagine how scared the b actual baby that was delivered would be. Uh, I was saying, imagine the nightmares this poor baby will have because it was born on Halloween and the doctor was still dressed as the Joker. So apparently this doctor that helped deliver this baby uh, was already dressed up for Halloween uh, and he had to come back uh, to deliver the baby. So he didn't remove any of his costume <laughs> and he delivered the baby dressed like the Joker. Uh, just crazy stuff. It looks like something from a horror film, honestly. Uh, then there was this uh, that happened during a Montreal Canadiens game, and they're already having a pretty tough season. Uh, but for some reason, Sportsnet decided to do a close-up image of this. Jonathan Drouin, apparently with his pants down, uh, and Pete Blackburn said, How you Drouin, uh, like Joey Tribbiani from Friends. Um, then, of course, as crazy as that was, and I honestly don't know why he was doing that on the bench, um, Marias tweeted out, uh, someone passed number 34, some Gatorade, he looks thirsty. <laughs> uh, Nova tweeted out, I love how Sportsnet's like, a player has his shorts down and zooms in. Uh, I thought that that was pretty crazy, too. Uh, but going into a random brain dropping I had, I don't know if you guys know this, but I found this out just the other day. Uh, apparently, the Sugar Research Foundation paid 
Harvard scientist, the equivalent of what is today fifty thousand uh, dollars, to publish a review of sh of research on sugar, fat, and heart disease in nineteen sixty seven that would be favorable to sugar. Um, this goes to show you how f crazy corruption can be. Um, then uh, a random joke, uh, this actress wasn't union, but her tits were sag. Uh, I stole that from a comedian. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, so I wanted to share that on the podcast. That's one of those, those jokes you either laughed right away or you're just like, that joke bombed, John, move on. Uh, either way, it's all good. Um, another thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, uh, you know, we live in a time where uh, everybody's got cell phones, you know, everybody's got cell phones like in their pockets, you know, it's always on them. Uh, I was saying, you know, why does everyone think phone radiation from your pocket is bad for having children? Your children could end up being superheroes. Any other time you hear about radiation, it's, oh, you know, you turn into Spider-Man. Um, but when it's phone radiation in your pocket, you know, that could be harmful to having kids. Um, random brain dropping once again. Um, then I was saying, how many people uh, thought back when Obama got elected that the first thing he would do would be to talk with rappers and Steve Harvey, and instead Trump was the one that did that the first time that he was elected. Um, so pretty crazy if you think about it that way. Um, so other crazy news, this is from CNBC uh, just a couple of days ago. 21st Century Fox had been holding talks to sell most of their company to Disney. Um, and a lot of um, comic book fans got excited about that, uh, superhero fans and movies too, because uh, in their minds they think that that would bring X-Men and the Avengers, you know, together. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, a lot of people were saying, you know, well, how would Disney handle a film like uh, Deadpool? And I think that that's a fair question. Uh, Daniel Feinberg responded, he said, there are too many uh, Monopoly worries uh, to a Disney Fox deal for me to care which X-Men characters this would allow to finally hug. Um, and I would agree with that. I think, especially in the media now, you're seeing all these companies just kind of merge together and become these monopolies. And any time that happens and you have like a lack of competition, it's usually never a good thing. Um, and that would, I think, definitely be the case between like a Disney and Fox merger. That would be really crazy. Um, then going back to Trump, uh, you know, thinking ahead to his next inauguration, uh, if he gets elected, I was saying that Trump is already planning to have that Bruce Springsteen cover band booked for his next inauguration. But what happened was they said, sorry, we're just born to run. <laughs> Then I was saying, you know, after hearing that, Donald Trump was thinking, you know what, my second choice would be to get holograms to sing against their will at my next inauguration, and Prince would obviously top that list for him. Um, then, you know, another completely random brain dropping, there'll be a lot of those in this podcast. Uh, now when you see a taxi nowadays, uh, Really, I think the first thing that comes to mind with, for most people is, you know, you're thinking of the way of, like, the payphone. You know that these things are going extinct with automated cars, with Uber, uh, all of those things, you know. Uh, then another random brain dropping, I was saying that Donald Trump's stakes are harder to digest than his foreign policy. 
Um, and then another random brain dropping I had going into the NBA, uh, I was saying, you know, if you look at the standings right now and you look at how the team's playing, especially with Porzingis, it seems like the Knicks are actually better without Carmelo Anthony, and it seems like the Thunder are actually worse with them. Um, and I think that kind of says a lot about how much hype uh, Carmelo Anthony has and how little he's produced on the basketball court, no matter where he's played, uh, honestly, since Syracuse. Syracuse was, it seems like, unfortunately for him, uh, was his prime. Um, and everything since has just not been at that level. Uh, then going back to the Edmonton Oilers, uh, everybody's favorite meme, it shows the Edmonton Oilers paying more attention to the first overall draft pick than Connor McDavid, who looks disgusted. Uh, then, you know, for Monday's game for the Maple Leafs, there was a lot of fear uh, because Austin Matthews left the warm-up practice early, and a lot of people were worried, you know, is he injured? Uh, he was a game-time decision for the game, and uh, as it turns out, you know, you didn't have to wait long. There was like a series of tweets from a whole bunch of people that Austin Matthews was on the ice for warm-up for the game, uh, and Bob McKenzie was joking saying, anyone know if uh, Matthews is taking warm-up? Obviously, a lot of people <laughs> were tweeting that. His whole timeline, it looks like, was filled with that. Uh, then this was a good tweet uh, from Adkarsh Ambudkar. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that wrong. I think I butchered his name. Very sorry if I did. Uh, but this was a really good tweet. He says, hashtag gun control now. And it's showing the hypocrisy of the arguments that you hear from mostly Republicans showing, you know, a gun is a terrorist, uh, a gun is a thug, and notice the color that he's using there, brown, terrorist, black, thug, white, a complex individual with specific mental health issues who was kind to his neighbors, and blah, 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 like, you know. And I, I think that that is also part of the story that everybody wants to overlook is depending on the color of the person that's doing the shooting, there's a different response from the media, from the conservative right, um, you know, and, and it's basically just excuses as well, uh, never to talk about gun control, um, never even really to talk about mental health, which is probably the most disturbing thing about it, period. Forget about gun control even, just having the conversation, the re a real conversation about mental health, not just pointing your finger like, oh, that's the reason, but actually having a discussion about it, trying to figure out what can be done to help those with mental health issues. Um, you know, and then also, needless to say, starting to talk about gun control as well would be nice. Um, you know, it's, I, I couldn't imagine being a, a family member of one of those victims and continuously hearing uh, over and over again from the Republicans in, in government, and even Democrats, let's be honest, because uh, they're not really forcing the issue either, um, of, of, of this bullshit where they just, you know, they point the finger at mental health. It's never a good time to talk about gun control. Apparently it's never a good time to talk about mental health either. Um, and it just continues over and over and over again. It's gotten to the point, I think, where it, any type of shooting, no matter how tragic it is, just doesn't have the shock value that it used to have. 
it doesn't hit people the same way we've become desensitized to it and that's such a scary thing anytime that anybody's life is lost um, it you should never be desensitized to that and yet I feel like that's kind of the way of the world right now is that you hear all these tragedies happening and it happens so often now um, or you know at the very least you you hear every almost every day about it in in the the news that you just become desensitized to it you know but at the same time it seems like you're hearing more and more people that are just plain frustrated by it uh, that they're sick and tired of hearing about these shootings and that they want for people to do something about it you know um, and I would agree 100% with this illustration the message that it's conveying and the overall message of just you know let's talk about gun control at this point because you know how many people have to die before we do you know um, it's it's unbelievable uh, then you know on a lighter note talking about Monday Night Raw uh, there is there is a, a point before the Elias and uh, Jason Jordan match with the guitar on the pole where Michael Cole was saying that this is a this is the first time we've seen a match like this in 20 years and for a second there he was saying we're going to show you and then he was talking about something that happened last week with Elias and Jason Jordan for a second there I thought he was gonna say we're going to show you clips from that match 20 years ago and all of a sudden we'd see Jeff Jarrett <laughs> but that obviously didn't happen uh, then WWE Creative Humor tweeted out eventually we're gonna realize that Samoa Joe is the best baby face we have and that is so true I couldn't agree with them more uh, I think it's such a shame that they're wasting the response that they're getting from Samoa Joe uh, and still continuing to push people like Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman like you can still build those two up but you have to realize that Samoa Joe is getting the strongest babyface pops out of anybody and he's been in matches with even Finn Balor and he's getting the bigger response you know um, that that to me points to just how bad sometimes wrestling especially specifically WWE can be they just they just they seem to miss the mark when it comes to that like you've got to be paying attention to how your audience is responding to superstars and clearly with Samoa Joe especially with him coming back like it was a prime opportunity to make him a strong baby face a good guy and instead they first thing he attacks somebody he's on the mic oh you know why are you guys cheering me nobody was saying anything when I was injured I don't care about anybody I don't you know clearly trying to make him a heel despite the crowd cheering for him um, I just I don't understand that booking you know people boo Roman Reigns but they never want to book him as a heel as a bad guy they do the same thing with John Cena um, it, it just it doesn't make sense to me like listen to your audience frame your storylines based around the response that you're getting because I don't know if you're trying to be cool by going against what the fans are saying but it just it doesn't work it hasn't worked for years um, that they continue to book this way and it's just such a mindless mistake uh, to me 
then there was this, speaking of gun control, Donald Trump uh, talking about gun control after the Texas shooting, uh, where he was saying literally if he didn't have a gun, instead of having 26 dead, you would have had hundreds more, talking about the person that was able to, quote, neutralize the shooter. Um, so we'll play that clip. on people trying to come into the United States. But I wonder if you would consider extreme vetting for people trying to buy a gun. Trying to what? Buy a gun. Well, you know, you're bringing up a situation that probably shouldn't be discussed too much right now. We could let a little time go by, but it's okay if you feel that that's an appropriate question, even though we're the heart of South Korea. I will certainly answer your question. Uh, if you did what you're suggesting, there would have been no difference three days ago. And you might not have had that very brave person who happened to have a gun or a rifle in his truck go out and shoot him and hit him and neutralize him. And I can only say this, if he didn't have a gun, instead of having 26 dead, he would have had hundreds more dead. So that's the way I feel about it. And are you not going to help. And are you considering any kind of gun control policy going forward? And you forward? look at these, the city with the strongest gun laws in our nation is Chicago. And Chicago is a disaster. It's a total disaster. Just remember, if this man didn't have a gun or a rifle, you'd be talking about a much worse situation in the great state of Texas. Thank you. So... The person that asked that question there, uh, Ali Vitali, uh, she was saying that Donald Trump has advocated extreme vetting for people trying to come into the U.S. Would he consider the same for people trying to buy a gun, which is exactly how she phrased that question. And I think that that was a very good question, especially the way that she phrased it, because it shows the hypocrisy of his presidency, really. Because on the one hand, exactly like what she's saying, you're all for extreme vetting for people coming into your country, but then once you're in the country, where's the extreme vetting for getting a license for a gun, uh, for just buying a gun, period? Um, and just that false equivalency argument that Donald Trump just had there, you know, not even talking about how the person that did the shootings acquired a gun or anything like that, Everything was about the hero that, you know, neutralized the shooter, you know, how it would have been horrible if he, if that guy didn't have a gun. Um, what the hell does that have to do with the original issue, which was the shooter that had the gun that caused all of the mayhem, you know? Um, it, it, it's just an unbelievable unbelievably stupid argument that I can't believe even gets any play you know I don't you know you have the freedom you have the right to freedom of speech you're the president of the United States but sometimes the things that he says are just framed in such ignorance and such stupidity that you wish that they would just turn the cameras off you know um, because the answers to those questions are just so f 
fucking ignorant and so fucking stupid, you know, and it's a cop-out. Let's be honest, like, everything about his answer from beginning to end was a complete cop-out from the question, whether it was, oh, I think it's too soon to talk about that. What the fuck? How many people have died in shootings under your fucking presidency? And it's still too early to talk about it? I think if the victim's parents and the victim's families are willing to talk about it, maybe the politicians that aren't even fucking related to the victims can also talk about it. You know? Um, so I think that's a cop-out. You know, I think the fact is he, looked, he had this stupid, bewildered look on his face. We're in the heart of South Korea. Why are we talking about this? Um, hello? You're still the president of the United States of America, no matter where you are in the fucking world. You're a public servant. That when the media asks you questions, yeah, you'd better answer those questions. Um, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable to me how he framed that answer and how from beginning to end, it was just a complete cop-out from answering the fucking question, which is, why are you such a hypocrite, basically, between vetting f people coming into the country versus trying to vet people buying a fucking gun in your country? And the answer is, I think we all know, because of that NRA money. Uh, and again, like what I was saying, my response to it, I was saying just an insane argument, which I just said. Uh, I think Trump needs to pull the NRA's cock out of his mouth and then reveal how much the NRA contributed to his campaign. And not just his campaign, Republicans' campaigns, Democrats' campaigns, they've got the NRA's dick so far up their ass, uh, I'm surprised it doesn't poke out of their mouth when they're talking. Because it's so fucking disgusting to me how many people have to die before they talk about serious gun control. And fuck you if you're somebody that's all about the right to bear arms. Read the whole fucking thing. It's basically about building a fucking militia, not your ability to own a fucking gun. Get real. Realize, hey, what time frame are we talking about here? This is the 1700s. You know? And recognize that you're well within your rights to read something and have your own interpretation but to twist it so much and bend it to your advantage is fucking insane the fact that this is even an argument like just read the fucking thing it does not just say the right to bear arms period there's more to it read the whole fucking thing and realize that they're talking about a militia and realize that it's the year 2017 and do you believe that you owning a fucking shotgun is going to protect you from nuclear bombs, a fucking tank, a warship, anything like that? A helicopter with missiles attached to it? No, you're not going to form a fucking militia. You're not going to overthrow the U.S. government. That's not fucking possible now. So this dream of the right to bear arms and form a militia should you have to uprise against your own government that was realistic in the 1700s. It's not very fucking realistic nowadays. And I think people need to wake the fuck up, read the whole thing, educate themselves, realize that the NRA uses just the first part of that to frame their argument. And then they push all of this money into government. You know, it's unfucking real. 
And if you're somebody that has shotguns or you buy guns to hunt, then you're not somebody that I'm talking about right now because chances are you probably did everything the right way. You acquired a license, you bought your guns the right way. I've got no issues with that. None. Where I have issues is where the NRA's influence and money have tainted the government so much that we continue to hear this bullshit argument that the right to bear arms is just that, that there's nothing more to that. When it's clear that that's not at all, you have to be so uneducated to read that whole thing and believe that that's talking about anything other than building a militia to overthrow a government. And again, it's 2017. Do you believe that owning a shotgun or any type of gun, even the fucking crazy semi-automatic guns, would allow for you or any group of people that you know to overthrow a government that has a nuclear bomb, that has fucking tanks, helicopters, jet planes, warships, you're not going to overthrow this U.S. government. You might want to with people like Donald Trump in power and this do-nothing Republican Congress, but are you really going to be able to do that? No, it's a pipe dream. You know, I don't understand why any other country in the world understands that they need to amend things that as times change so should the rules and yet when it comes to this glorious second amendment and, and when it comes to uh, just the right to bear arms and any other amendment that they're untouchable that every amendment is just completely untouchable, uh, that they can't be changed with the times. Uh, it's, it's just moronic to me. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's not my country. I live in Canada. I can only observe and talk about my opinions on it. Uh, I just hope that someday I'll wake up and instead of hearing about a shooting, I'll hear that, hey, Congress decided once and you know and for all finally to t fucking at least talk about gun control at least talk about mental health issues uh, then uh, Joe Rogan was tweeting okay what the fuck is going on with iPhones where this question mark in a box keeps showing up and I was saying that this is a sign of the apocalypse uh, and you know there's a lot of people that are anti-Trump within the U.S., outside of the U.S., uh, but you even see it in South Korea. Uh, as Trump arrives, uh, this is from Richard Engel, as Trump arrives in South Korea, protesters in Seoul worry he's itching for a war with North Korea. You see Donald Trump with that stupid look on his face and a nuclear bomb blowing up over his head uh, with a no-smoking sign around him. Uh, so Rolf Degen tweeted, individuals who use their smartphone derive less enjoyment from their real world 
social interactions and I find that to be totally interesting because I can 100% believe that uh, we've become so attached to our cell phones you know it's always in our hands that everything around us we, we don't take the time to appreciate and you know f for I probably for almost everybody if not everybody there, there seems to be more satisfaction from interacting on your phone than there is in real life which is absolutely fucking crazy but it, I do believe that study I believe that that is the times that we live in and it's really sad and it's really crazy and I don't know if there's any way to get back to enjoying real life interactions you know uh, then Joe Rogan tweeted out that this fungus uh, from Pops Popular Science website has over 23,000 sexes and no qualms about it. Um, you know, so, you know, if, if you're looking at all of the different gender options for people nowadays, that's nothing compared to 23,000 different sexes uh, on that fungus. That's pretty crazy. Uh, then... I would play this clip, but I know if I do, the music behind it would probably get us kicked off of YouTube. So if you're interested, check it out, twitter.com slash thejohndnewton. It's a very interesting commercial uh, featuring the new cover athlete for Major League Baseball, the show of 2018, Aaron Judge for the Yankees. And I think that that is definitely a worthy person to be on the cover. He had an unbelievable season for the Yankees, uh, you know, and, and to... To have a season like that, you know, as a rookie, uh, you know, on a team with as much pressure as the New York Yankees, like, that guy deserves to be on the cover. Now, what I don't like about what Major League Baseball, the show, is doing is that they lately seem to be trying to appease Canadian fans by having a Blue Jay on the cover. And this year, it's going to be Marcus Stroman. I don't think they should do that. I really don't because, you know, NBA 2K18 did the same thing with DeMar DeRozan on the cover. Um, I think that's bullshit. I think, you know, if you're legitimately the cover guy and you happen to play for a Toronto team, that's great. Vince Carter did that for NBA Live back in the day, and I absolutely love that because he earned it. But did DeMar DeRozan really earn being on the cover of NBA 2K18? Nah, I don't think so. I think Kyrie Irving definitely deserves to be on the cover, and he is, you know. And what's funny is, if you buy it digitally, I'm in Canada, it's not DeMar DeRozan that's on the cover, like, taking up the, the screen, it's Kyrie Irving. That's how it should be. Same thing with Aaron Judge for Major League Baseball, the show. I think he deserves to be the cover athlete. Marcus Stroman did absolutely nothing to deserve to be on any cover, even in Canada. Uh, I, I think that it's cheap for these video game companies to try and gain, you know, Canadian fans by doing that. I think it's absolute bullshit. If they've earned it, put them on the cover in both countries. If they haven't earned it, don't put them on the fucking cover. Uh, then I was watching Vice News tonight, uh, not for yesterday, but for Monday, and they did actually a unique one-hour show everything was about what's called the Paradise Papers. And if you don't know about the Paradise Papers, definitely keep listening to this podcast. After this podcast, I, I encourage you guys to research it, to look into it, because it is fucking crazy. There is millions and millions of documents out there 
that have been uncovered by at least over 100 independent journalists who did an unbelievable job doing this. Uh, the Vice News Tonight story basically covered all the different journalists around the world that were looking into it, including those uh, that were working at the New York Times, and they just did an unbelievable job doing this um, because so much was uncovered. The Queen of England is involved, uh, the, the Prince is involved in England, uh, Nike is involved, a lot of different companies are involved, um, but what was most intriguing to me, it isn't getting much play in the media, which is mind-blowing to me, considering what's supposedly being investigated right now, is that I tweeted here, nothing to see, just the Kremlin using Kushner to invest in Facebook and Twitter back in 2013-2014. Now, this sounds like a conspiracy theory because it's so fucking crazy, but it happened, right? There's a company called Cadre, C-A-D-R-E, that Jared Kushner's involved in that's also funded by the Kremlin. It's funded by a Russian investor who used that company to also invest in Facebook and Twitter in 2013 and 2014. Now, he divested what he owned, supposedly, in Facebook and Twitter well before the election took place. But is that really the story, or is that an excuse? Because to me, when you own millions of shares in Facebook and Twitter, or you own it, or you're funding it, you've got influence you know and it raises questions and it raises doubts about you know these social media platforms and it raises huge concerns obviously about Jared Kushner and his bullshit about oh we weren't involved with Russia bullshit bullshit this says bullshit and it's creepy on an unbelievable level uh, the article's there, twitter.com slash the John D. Newton, check it out. Um, it's just mind-blowing to me. And I, I'm, I cannot believe that it's not getting more play in the media right now, because it should be, because it is the story. Ever since November 2016, this is the fucking story, and nobody's talking about it. Um, and I was just adding to that, I was saying, you know, I'm hoping at this point that Cadre is on Mueller's radar. Otherwise, the media is doing a better job investigating this shit than Mueller is, and he's supposed to be investigating this more than anybody else. Uh, I was also saying I love how Twitter is claiming they weren't aware of Russian in investment. Please, that sounds like such bullshit to me. Um, but switching sides, um, talking about NBA basketball for a second. Big trade uh, yesterday involving the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, you've got Phoenix finalizing a deal to send Eric Bledsoe to Milwaukee for Greg Monroe and a first-round draft pick. Monumental trade. I think this will make Milwaukee a better team. Uh, I think trading Monroe, though, is going to be costly for them, uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, and then the New York Times tweeted out uh, that Syria says that it would sign the Paris climate accord and I believe they did and that leaves the US as the only country that has rejected it at the same time as just a few days ago as we talked about on the podcast that that White House that administration that denies climate change being started by or 
being uh, not started by man, obviously, but uh, being impacted by man, uh, came out. That report came out. And uh, the U.S. is still rejecting it. Uh, you know, the good thing is, is that him opting out of the Paris Climate Accord agreement uh, doesn't take effect until 2020. There's a good chance that he won't be the president that year. Uh, you know, as we as you know, election season will will be going on. Uh, you know, hopefully, whoever the president is at that time uh, will have the sense to change this. You know, it's only the future of the world that's at stake. It's only uh, continuous crazy weather going on that's at stake and people's lives and everything else. So, you know, not much at stake here. Give me a break. Everything's at stake here. And uh, this more than anything, I think, shows the lack of leadership of the U.S. now and how they've just fallen on the world stage to just an absolute fucking joke. Uh, you're the only country that's against the Paris Agreement. That's not leadership. That's just fucking pathetic. And it's total denial. And everything about this administration lately is about denial. Denying the, any involvement with Russia. Denying climate change. Denying, let's talk about gun control. Everything is about denial. Let's deny any racism being involved in the U.S. right now. Um, when will the government open their fucking eyes and realize what's going on in the world these days? That's what I'm wondering. Uh, speaking of Republicans, uh, Chris Christie got into a huge argument with a voter who questioned why he didn't merge his two towns. Now that issue, I couldn't give a shit about. What I do care about is how he was talking to this voter. And, uh, well, I'll let the clip play for you guys to hear for yourselves what he sounded like. Sure, ma'am, why not? Yeah, why not? Because I can't. Yeah, well, as governor, I can't. I can't. I don't have the authority to do it. I, I, well, well, you know what? Um, you can, listen, you, well, you listen, go in and vote, go in and vote for whatever you want. I never said I was going to merge the two towns. I understand. You're so frustrated. You know what? The easiest thing in the world, the easiest thing in the world is to stand where you stand and stand on the sidelines and, and, and critique. And well, you're not, but you're the one here doing the critiquing. So you know what? You want to, you want to merge, you live in Mendon Township, you want to merge Mendon Township and Mendon Borough. Run for the township committee. Run, run for the town. Run for the township committee. Amend the township and be the voice to do it. No, I know, because that's too hard. It's easier. It's easier to sit here. It's easier to sit here and complain. It's easier. And I don't have the money like you. Yeah, oh really? I'm sure. I'm sure. Easier to sit here and complain. But you know what? Um, that's the joy of public service. It's serving. It's serving folks. It's it's serving folks. Yeah, it's serving. It's serving folks like you that is really such a unique joy. It really is. You're fabulous. <laughs> I don't even think I have to say anything about how fucked up that whole segment was, but I'll let Twitter speak for me, including some of my thoughts on it anyways. Uh, I was saying, 
LOL, somebody vote this guy out, please. And I'm happy to say that apparently they did in New Jersey, so good for them. Uh, Julia Rowe tweeted out what a 15% approval rating looks and sounds like. Uh, Patty tweeted out, I've never been able to discern if Christie's wife right beside him, and this is a good point, whether she's grimacing or smiling. And it, honestly, it seemed more like she was grimacing throughout the whole thing, because that was a long time to hold a smile. Um, it was just so unpleasant, and I think a good look into the mind of this guy and just how out of touch he is. Um, in every way like it was almost like a performance it was so fucking crazy how he was talking and and just how sarcastic he was at the end you know it's an, this is the absolute joy the pure joy i have of serving you fine like it was so fake and such bullshit um you know i was happy to see this idiot get voted out at long last i think it's been a long time coming you know you think about the bridge incident you think about the beach incident there's been so many things with this fat fuck um you know he just deserved to get the fuck out of office and at long last it seems like he has the people of new jersey have had enough of his shit and uh all the power to them uh then uh pretty much the majority of this podcast will be about uh remembering uh, Roy Holiday, uh, who was without question, uh, for me growing up as a kid, uh, just an absolute idol for me. Uh, his work ethic, the way that he played, um, he, he, you know, people throw around the word workhorse uh, to describe players, specifically pitchers in baseball. Um, they're is nobody that defines workhorse to me that I've seen in my lifetime pitching more than Roy Holiday. His work ethic, I think, was unparalleled. Um, you know, I, I heard a lot of people yesterday asking the question, is he a Hall of Famer? And a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, absolutely, because of him going to the Phillies and doing what he did uh, in the playoffs. I don't, I don't think they see the full picture, man. Just look at his numbers alone, first of all. Then, go back and think about when he was pitching. He was posting crazy numbers when everybody was fucking juicing in that sport. He was pitching in a division that had World Series champion Yankees and World Series champion Red Sox. And he still put up the numbers that he put up on very, very shitty... Toronto Blue Jays teams and you know there was some great footage uh, that Sportsnet was showing of an interview that he had uh, where you could tell he loved being a Blue Jay you can tell that he's going to be probably the second ever Blue Jay in Cooperstown wearing the Blue Jays hat on his plaque along with Alomar um, you know this is a guy that was a Blue Jay no matter what he even said, you know, when he was playing for the Phillies, he felt like a Blue Jay playing in a Phillies uniform. Um, you know, you can tell that he wished so badly, and he did everything in his power, believe me, uh, to 
to have that type of success in the postseason with the Blue Jays was just the rest of the team around him was such shit. But it says everything about him when he was doing these interviews and he was saying that, you know, he thought he had such great Blue Jays teams and that, you know, I think says everything about him. Um, but he, I, I was so saddened to hear of his passing, uh, not just because he was one of my heroes growing up, um, but because, you know, he leaves behind two kids and his wife, and I, I feel, uh, you know, so sad for them, um, you know, uh, selfishly at the same time, though, I, I always wonder what he could have done as a pitching coach, as a manager, as possibly a, a general manager, um, you know, what was interesting to me, which I didn't know, is that after his career in Major League Baseball, he went on to coach his kids. Um, he was asked by Sanchez back when they had an innings limit on Sanchez. Uh, Sanchez seeked him out personally uh, to help him uh, with his pitching. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that if, if Roy Holiday had uh, you know, been able to live longer, uh, it was proven yesterday in reports that the Phillies and the Blue Jays apparently were going, reaching out to him to try to see if eventually he would be interested in being a pitching coach. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, if he had lived long enough that he, he would have been an unbelievable pitching coach. You know, if he put in the dedication that he did as he was a player, which I know he would have, uh, the sky would have been the limit for him. And I can only imagine how great the pitching rotations and the bullpens would have been uh, that would have been coached by him. Um, one of the things that will always stick out to me about him, there's a few things, but uh, two of them off the top of my head. Number one, just how many games he would go out and just finish. Um, and he pitched so well that it wasn't just the stare that the intense stare that he would give to his manager that was thinking about maybe putting in a relief pitcher or a closer. It was that, to me, when you watched him pitch, uh, it just seemed like you would be a fool to pull him out of the game. You know, you throw in even your closer, and there's a good chance that that closer would be more likely to throw balls and walk players and risk your lead than it would be just to leave this guy who was clearly on uh, out there. You know, and, and there's people that had this ridiculous argument to me that were saying, oh, you know, uh, if Holiday was pitching nowadays, there's no way that he would be uh, able to go as deep into games as he, as he did. I think that's bullshit, man. Just the eye test. Look at how he was pitching. I think any manager that's worth his salt would keep him in the game. Even today, where the game has changed and everything's about the bullpen, like, Holiday was just unbelievable on the mound. Um, and if you don't believe me, just go back and watch his pitches. Like, and, and one of the things that was great about him is not only would he go deep into games and have so many complete games over the course of his career, but the games that he was pitching were so quick, you know. Um, and I was hearing some people saying, you know, who would you compare him to? I don't have anybody that I would compare him to. I really don't. He was his own guy, and he did it his own way, and, and he was just, to me, 
without question the best pitcher that the Blue Jays ever had. Um, I know some people would say Dave Steeb, but here's where I would argue against that. I think Dave Steeb had a better team around him, especially in the 80s, um, than what Roy Holiday had. And I don't think Dave Steeb had to compete against the caliber of competition that Roy Holiday did with the Yankees and the Red Sox at that time. Those two teams were stacked. They were built by money, and they were winning World Series, man. And Roy Holiday still put up the numbers he did against that. And those teams were fucking juicing it on top of that. And he was still putting up those numbers. So anybody that would say that Roy Holiday is not the best Blue Jay pitcher of all time, I think they're full of shit. I think that he is without question the best pitcher uh, the Blue Jays have ever had. Now, the argument of the greatest Blue Jay of all time, that's an interesting argument. I could go either way on that. I think you've got Roberto Alomar and you've got Doc Holliday and you could put them one and two, two and one, you know, one and two, one and two. I, I, I can understand either argument. I think you're talking about two of the greatest Blue Jays ever, um, you know, but without a doubt in my mind, Roy Holiday is the greatest pitcher that the Blue Jays have ever had. And I would find it hard to believe if he's not the greatest Blue Jay pitcher that they will ever have. I don't think that we're ever going to see um, the talent that he had ever again in a Blue Jays uniform as a pitcher. And, uh, you know, what, what's sad is I don't know how many people truly at that time appreciated what he was doing. I think there was a good fifteen to 20,000 diehard fans that would go into to the Sky Dome or the Rogers Center and would... Um, would watch him, um, you know, and I think that's probably the biggest shame is that you see this resurgence of Blue Jays fans now, but, you know, Roy Holiday was pitching at a time, uh, unfortunately, in the Blue Jays' history where their arenas were almost empty, man, uh, you know, he was playing in front of almost nobody, and for him to still pitch the way that he did despite that, despite how shitty the rest of the roster was around him, you know, um, it speaks everything to him and his work ethic and who he was as a person, and, uh, you know, I wanted to share with everybody in this podcast, um, not just my thoughts about Roy Holiday, but thoughts that just poured out there, uh, on Twitter, so I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, starting with uh, somebody that I respect more than anybody in baseball, uh, in baseball reporting, uh, Ken Rosenthal, uh, he tweeted this picture of him and Roy Holiday on October 6, 2010. Uh, this was Roy Holiday's no-hitter versus the Reds in the division series. Uh, it was an honor, Ken Rosenthal was saying, to be at Citizens Bank Park that night. And uh, Tim and Sid tweeted out, rest in peace, Doc. Uh, John Morosi, who's another great reporter that I respect, uh, tweeted out, Roy Holiday made his Major League debut in 1998. He still has the most complete games since then, 67. And uh, I'll be honest with you guys, I don't think that's ever going to get touched. Um, 
not just because of the way the game's evolved with the bullpens, but Roy Holiday, um, when you watched him pitch, you knew you were watching something special, and, and you know, even not knowing that the game was going to evolve into what it did evolve into with the bullpen, I, I feel like I knew, even back then, that it was something that you're never going to see again, you know, uh, somebody that dominant, somebody that could go that deep into games and just complete the game, and, you know, you, you, I, I, I feel very confident saying that I don't think we're ever going to see that again in Major League Baseball. Uh, then the Toronto Blue Jays tweeted out a statement uh, on the tragic passing of Roy Holiday. They said, the Toronto Blue Jays organization is overcome by grief with the tragic loss of one of the franchise's greatest and most respected players, but even better human being. Uh, it's impossible to express what he's meant to this franchise, the city, and its fans. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family and friends. And I, I think that's something that came up more and more, is that not just how great of an athlete he was and how dedicated he was, uh, but how much of a great human being he was. Um, you know, another memory I had of him uh, that I didn't mention earlier, um, now that I think about it, was uh, when he was going to all those All-Star games and you would see him uh, even talking to like a, an enemy, a rival like Mariano Rivera, and they were talking about like the cutter, you know, and pitching the cutter, and uh, you know, those are the moments that kind of stick with you uh, about Roy Holiday and the type of person that he was. And uh, Jeff Passan, another great uh, sports writer, tweeted, uh, Roy Holiday was an amazing baseball player, a second-to-none worker, and best of all, a genuine good person in an industry without enough. Uh, not the best timing, but again, this is Papa John's Brain Droppings podcast, so you guys are used to back and forth. Uh, but a random brain dropping from Uberfax, if you commit suicide in Japan, by jumping in front of a train, the family of the deceased will be charged a disruption fee. Um, I'm not sure how many of you guys know that, but that is true. Um, it's, it's crazy, but it's true. Again, not the best timing to mention that tweet while we're trying to remember Doc Holiday, but uh, you know, it was something that I wanted to squeeze into the podcast at some point. Uh, but going back to Doc Holiday, uh, John Lester tweeted out, uh, just heard the tragic news about Roy Holiday and I'm speechless, one of the best pitchers I've ever seen play, very sad day for our game. Uh, and on a later note, going back to the NBA, uh, Nike did a really smart thing, they signed, they re-signed uh, the Greek freak from the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, now he's getting his signature shoe processed, um, and I think that's a smart, smart signing by Nike, uh, I think the sky's the limit for the Greek freak. Uh, I can never pronounce his last name, uh, so I'm not going to try to. Uh, I always call him the Greek Freak. Um, just a freakish athlete, and uh, th I really believe that this guy is going to be uh, a big, big deal in the NBA. Uh, if not, I, I honestly feel like he's going to be the face of the NBA. I think he's going to take over for LeBron James at some point, uh, because the talent and the size and the skill the athleticism, it's all there. Um, and I believe the charisma, too. I, I think he's got the full package that the NBA would be looking for. 
Um, but going back to uh, Doc Holliday, uh, Logan Couture tweeted out, uh, growing up watching number 32 take the mound every five days for the Blue Jays was a pleasure. He was an athlete that I idolized. Rest in peace, Doc. Uh, Dan Schulman tweeted out, I've covered a lot of athletes. I've never covered anyone who was as respected by his teammates and as revered by fans as Roy Holiday was. Uh, Jamie Campbell, who's there on the right, Greg's on on the left, uh, interviewing Holiday in that picture. Uh, Jamie Campbell was saying, my heart aches, I'm in tears right now. Uh, Major League Baseball tweeted out, uh, we're saddened by the tragic news that Roy Holiday, two-time Cy Young Award winner and eight-time All-Star, has died in a plane crash. He was 40 years old. Uh, Pedro Martinez tweeted out, I can't believe it. Uh, so many times we competed against each other, and even while competing, I wanted to see you. My condolences to your family. Uh, Tim and Sid uh, tweeted out a quote from John Gibbons, who was his manager at a certain point in time. Uh, not just a great pitcher, but a wonderful human being. Here you see a picture of an autographed uh, jersey from Roy Holiday, and it's from Dan Heron. Uh, who said, I own, only own like five signed jerseys, and I was so scared to ask him. He wrote that he liked watching me pitch. What an honor. Uh, Dan Heron also tweeted out, I wanted to be Roy Holiday. I'm heartbroken. Rest easy, dog. Uh, Ken Bosenthal also tweeted out, Heartbreaking. Holiday was everything you want a player to be. Uh, Tim and Sid, to their credit, their whole show was a tribute uh, to, in their words, one of the greatest pitchers in person we've ever encountered, Roy Holiday. Uh, John Morosi tweeted out, again, Roy Holiday was a beloved teammate. More importantly, he was devoted to his family and left a legacy of philanthropy in Toronto and Philadelphia. And here you see a picture of uh, Vladimir Guerrero and Roy Holiday, two of the greatest uh, players ever to play in Canada. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero tweeted out, we were together in this journey as Canadian Baseball Hall of Famers. Now you are gone. Rest in peace, Roy Holiday. Uh, Vernon Wells, who's obviously a teammate with, with Roy Holiday with the Blue Jays, uh, tweeted out, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, I had a front row seat to watch his greatness. Uh, rest in peace, Doc. Uh, prayers to Brandy and his kids. Uh, Darren Dreger just tweeted out awful this news about uh, Roy Holiday dying in a plane crash in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, uh, switching sides for a second, going to politics, uh, Jake Tapper tweeted out CNN poll, uh, public's views of major political parties, the Democratic Party, 37% favorable, 54% unfavorable, GOP 30% favorable, 61% unfavorable, and I'm not surprised by these numbers. A lot of people are looking at these numbers saying, you know, this isn't good for the Democrats. Uh, my opinion, it shouldn't be good for the Democrats. Just because Trump's in office doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to vote against Trump. People need something to vote for, and I don't feel like the Democratic Party's giving them that something. I feel like both of these parties have 
done an absolute disservice to their country. I think both of these parties are just an absolute fucking mess, uh, absolute fucking disgraces. Um, I hope that at some point there will be some leadership in both parties, God forbid, and that uh, the country can start to heal and that the country can start to get better. Uh, but I don't really see it. You know, to me, I don't know who that person is on the Republican side. I can tell you who that person is to me on the Democratic side. It's Gavin Newsom. Uh, but, you know, do the Democratic, does the Democratic Party see what I see in, in Gavin Newsom? That's what I'm wondering. Because to me, it's a no-brainer. He's the guy that's going to lead you somewhere. Uh, the Republican side, it's just so splintered and so chaotic. And there's such bullshit going on. I don't know who that leader is. Um, nobody seems to want to grow a set and, and be the guy. Um, and the people that do are, are retiring, which I find just absolutely pathetic. Um, you know, those numbers don't shock me. And they shouldn't shock anybody in government right now because uh, what exactly have they done since Obama's left office? What have they done that has enriched the lives of the American people? I can't think of anything. And I'm not even just talking in terms of partisan politics or anything like that. Like, I cannot think of anything. So I hope that those poll numbers scream to politicians and scream to these parties that uh, something needs to change. Uh, but going back to uh, Roy Holiday, uh, Mike Trout, who was arguably the best player in baseball, uh, tweeted in shock over the terrible news about Roy Holiday. Uh, a pitcher I grew up admiring and rooting for, praying for his family and friends. Uh, hashtag rest in peace, Doc. Shane Victorino, who played with Holiday with the Phillies, uh, he tweeted out, Gone too soon, my friend. Uh, blessed to have shared the field with you as a teammate, competitor, friend, and more importantly, a brother. Praying for Brandy, Ryan, and Braden, his wife, and his two kids. Uh, Yazuo Puig tweeted, uh, very sad to hear about this good man, great pitcher and competitor my condolences to his family uh, Kevin Millar tweeted out, rest in peace, Roy Holiday was one of the greatest teammates I have had the privilege to play with our prayers are with his wife and two boys uh, Justin Verlander who just won the World Series and got married recently uh, tweeted, shocked and, sh and saddened uh, gone way too soon one of the best ever rest in peace doc and I think that says it all when, when you've got somebody like Justin Verlander saying one of the best ever you know uh, Ryan Howard uh, tweeted out such a sad day we lost a great ball player but an even better human being many prayers to Brandy Ryan and Braden we will miss you Roy uh, Dallas Keuchel tweeted out uh, rest in peace doc holiday one of the best to ever do it you will be missed again another great pitcher uh, Justin Turner tweeted uh, honored to have had the opportunity to step in the box against the Hall of Famer Roy Holiday. Sick to my stomach to hear the news. 
rest in peace 34 to me it's always going to be rest in peace 32 um roy oswald tweeted out heart is broken to hear about roy holiday great friend teammate father and husband one of the best teammates ever he will be missed uh, nick swisher tweeted out i'm shocked to hear the news about roy holiday devastating my thoughts and prayers are with his family brad ziegler tweeted out absolutely devastated to hear the death of roy holiday just sick one of my favorite pitchers to ever watch prayers for his family uh, dennis eckersley tweeted out um, immense sadness crushing roy holiday was one of the best ever special person and great talent prayers to his family uh, donovan bailey uh, who's not without his fair share of criticism of course but uh, he tweeted out saddened to hear the news about roy holiday he meant so much to toronto and canadian baseball rest in peace dog hashtag legend um, so yeah I, I definitely wanted to dedicate the majority of this podcast to Roy Holiday. Um, again, just a, a childhood idol of mine. And, um, you know, if there's one thing that I took away from yesterday, in addition to the sadness of it all, um, was just as much as I built him up in my mind as an idol, um, all of the stories that I heard about him from broadcasters and former players and teammates of his. Um, he, he, this is hard to say, um, he, he was better than, um, he, he was better than what I thought he was as, as an idol, um, and he meant so much to so many people, um, and, and, I think that says everything you need to know about Roy Holiday, man, is, is when somebody like me idolizes somebody like him, and I thought I knew a lot about him, and uh, you, you find out he's even better than what you could have even envisioned as a hero and as an idol, um, I, I don't think there's anything better that you can say about a person than that. You know, um, he's always going to be a hero to me, and he's always going to be an idol to me, and, and definitely always a childhood idol that I had. Um, but I, I was blown away at how many teammates and players and, and people outside of the sport, broadcasters, the stories that they had to share about him, and. Uh, you know, he's definitely going to be missed, and, and my condolences, my thoughts and prayers are with um, his wife and kids, and it, it's, it's such a tragedy, but, um, you know, I don't think there's any better way of, of, of for me to say what Roy Holiday's meant to me uh, than that he, he, and what I found out about yesterday, uh, he was larger than life to me and what I envisioned of him he appears to be even better even greater than that and uh, I, I don't think there's any higher compliment I could pay anybody than that and uh, you know as, as emotional as I'm getting just talking about that uh, I, 
I, I had to put this podcast for today because I don't think I could have gotten through what I was able to get through there uh, without just being unable to talk, uh, being so overcome by emotion and, and tears and crying. Uh, I will definitely miss Roy Holiday and always wonder what he could have been as a pitching coach, but just treasuring what he was able to accomplish in his life. Um, and it, it's true, like, it's rare that a player passes away that he's an idol to players um, and people talk about how great he was as a player but I think you kind of saw with all those tweets that uh, as great of a player he was he was an even better person even better human being and uh, I don't think there's a better compliment you could pay to the man than that and uh, yeah you know, he, he had a huge impact on me um, as an idol, as a hero of mine, and uh, definitely gone way too soon, but never forgotten, never forgotten. Um, not to me. He, he's always going to live uh, in my mind, in my memories, in my heart. Uh, just too good of a person, too good of a player to ever forget. And, uh, yeah. Rest in peace, Doc. That's all I, I can say. <sighs> so, uh, kind of going into something different. Uh, Smackdown Live yesterday. So, uh, WWE Creative Humor said it, it sure would be a shame if we lost out on the Brock Lesnar versus Jinder Mahal, <laughs> versus Jinder Mahal dream match. Uh, foreshadowing there. Uh, then cutting into politics a little bit the Democrats did have some big wins um, yesterday uh, what I would caution people though uh, is, is not to get complacent not to think oh this is great this is the start of a resistance movement against Donald Trump no no this is just a couple of elections um, I would still encourage the people that are anti-Trump to go out and vote in the midterm elections to go out and vote, um, you know, in the presidential election um, and the congressional elections that will take place during that time as well. Uh, this is not even close to being a beginning. Uh, it's going to require citizens showing up and voting for changes to take place. This is encouraging, but that's all it is. And I don't want for people to get complacent thinking, oh, this is just a sign that everything's going to change. No, 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 no. You still need to show up and vote. Uh, this is hopefully a beginning. Uh, so in Virginia, uh, a state that is, you know, center-right, I would consider, uh, they did vote in Democrat Ralph Northam uh, as the governor. Uh, and that was going up against a candidate, uh, Ed Gillespie, Gillespie uh, who was supported by Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about polar opposites, man. Uh, we were just talking about Roy Holiday and the person he was. Check this out. Donald Trump, on November 7th, uh, tweeted out, uh, vote for Ed Gillespie today. 
15 hours later, after he lost, Ed Gillespie worked hard, this is from Donald Trump, Ed Gillespie worked hard but did not embrace me or what I stand for. Unbelievable. You could not talk about two more polar opposite people than Roy Holiday and Donald Trump. How in 15 hours, Donald Trump can just turn his back on you is unbelievable. Now, the next part of his tweet is why I say don't get complacent to people that are anti-Trump and why voting is so important. Because Donald Trump adds, don't forget, Republicans won four out of four House seats and with the economy doing record numbers, we will continue to win even bigger than before. So, the gubernatorial races, the governorships that were on the line, Democrats won. The House seats, Republicans won. So, you know, people need to show up and vote, man. Uh, but yeah. Going into the governorship in New Jersey, as I said, uh, clearly that guy wasn't cutting it. Christie, uh, Phil Murphy, the Democrat, won the New Jersey governor race. Uh, Democrats and liberals turned out at their highest rates in New Jersey gubernatorial races since 1993. Uh, the exit poll data showed Democrats accounted for 44% of the voters and versus that Republicans. 28%. Now, obviously, how many Republicans still support Chris Christie? You know, I think that's something to consider. The guy has become so toxic uh, to himself and his party that uh, I can understand. I'm actually kind of surprised that that type of turnout for Republicans, I would actually be expecting less. Then again, I don't know who they voted for. You could be a Repu registered Republican and vote against your party, of course. Vice versa is true, too. You could be a registered Democrat and vote against your party as well. Um, then, of course, uh, spoiler, if you haven't seen SmackDown Live, uh, much better hashtag SmackDown Live tweeted by Sue. Uh, Brock Lesnar, Universal Champion versus AJ Styles, the new... WWE champion. Uh, WWE Creative Humor tweeted, I can't believe we're cheating you out of Jinder Mahal versus Brock Lesnar. The internet is going to be livid. Uh, one last thought uh, for this podcast that I had uh, with Doc Holliday. Uh, the life of the dead is placed in the memory of the living. Uh, hashtag rest in peace, Doc. Uh, and then, on a totally different subject, uh, Doug Benson tweeting out, a few comedians tweeting out with the new character limits. Uh, Doug Benson tweeted out, not sure if Twitter gave me double the amount of characters, so I'll just type a really long sentence and see what happens. Was that 140? How about now? Oh shit, I got it. Not gonna abuse it though, I promise. This will be the only time pinky swear by. Still going shit. Fuck. <laughs> And then Chris Hardwick tweeted out, uh, Do I have 280 characters to type now? I don't know, it seems like there's more space now, but gosh, do I ramble on? 
That reminds me of the time I told a long story to a friend of mine who I thought was naked but turned out to be a circus pony. Life sure is weird when there's more root. Then he got cut off. <laughs> uh, Doug Benson also tweeted out again, Thor Ragnarok, if you haven't seen it. Not just me, Doug Benson now also saying, I thought Thor Ragnarok was going to be wackier, but I was pleased with the mix of comedy, drama, and action. Doug Benson digs it. Uh, or hashtag Doug digs it. Uh, I tweeted out, uh, you know, I'm a fan of AJ Styles and Jinder Mahal, uh, but I thought that their match uh, last night for SmackDown Live was a bit rough. Um, I, I wasn't really a fan of the match. I love both of them, but uh, it was not the best match that I've ever seen them do. Um, I also tweeted out, I'm already tired of reading the mini novels that 280 characters on Twitter has given us. If I wanted to read short stories, I would be on Facebook more. Hashtag what the fuck. Uh, and then uh, my last tweet, uh, and I think this is a great way to end this podcast. Uh, so much that we've talked about. Uh, but uh, it's never too late to be who you might have been. Uh, very uplifting. Uh, I think just a great way to end this podcast. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, for watching this podcast. Um, you know, if... if Roy Holiday meant as much to you as he meant to me. I, I hope that this podcast resonated with you. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, and I will see you guys in the next episode.